This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to put on the show. Location, location, location. That would be my mantra in any negotiation with Jamal Adams when it comes to the payday and how Fred Warner's contract relates to what Jamal Adams will be looking for. Let's see how Brock Heward feels about this. It's time for Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two, ready, right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Good morning, Brock. How are you now? Good morning, Polly. I'm doing great. I'm in beautiful Indianapolis, Indiana, in the bowels of Lucas Oil Stadium as we speak here, trying to find a quiet spot for you. Just got done listening to the Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren do his presentation. Got a busy day. Uh, Danny, I'll say hi to Coach Harbaugh for you. Yeah, him let him know pain. if he yeah. if he doesn't if he doesn't beat Ohio State, he might get canned like tuna. Yeah, he's never heard that. Uh, so yes, I will I will do that. I'll ask him if Greg Roman's around. Wish him a Merry Christmas as well. So we'll have all sorts of fun. I feel like Jim Harbaugh would be a canned tuna kind of guy, given his love of milk as well, all the <laughs> oh, nutritional no... <laughs> sustenance he can get. You, you know, if you want to make it sound fancy, yeah, call it tinned. Tinned fish. Tinned fish. Okay. Yeah, tinned fish. It sounds very fancy. I'm putting my pinky up right now. Okay, question one, Brock. I, I know we've talked about this before and that traditionally when we look at any position, you're going to pay that position based off of how others are paid at the position. But with what we just saw with Fred Warner's contract, I feel like Jamal Adams is probably going to come to the Seahawks and say, look what, what Fred Warner got. How different then am I from Fred Warner? Yeah, I play yeah. safety. I'm not a linebacker. But shouldn't I be getting paid more in this range than in the range of one Justin Simmons who got the four-year $61 million extension compared to the Fred Warner's five-year $95.5 million extension this offseason? Yeah, I don't I don't think that's going to carry any weight. I don't think that moves the needle, particularly with Matt Thomas, Capologist with John Schneider, yeah, the the argument we go around and around and around about it. But the, the difference is Danny said location, 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 position, position, position. He's a linebacker and a middle linebacker, and all that comes to play a middle linebacker, and you're not, you're a safety. But I, where I do wonder, and I am curious, I don't know if you all talk numbers with the with the professor about this last last hour or not, but. Who was the highest-paid middle linebacker before Fred Warner's deal? Was that Bobby's average per year? Was he, was yes. he the highest at, at about, what, 18 or closing in on 18 a year? Yeah, it's a little under 17, depending on how you average it. But, yeah, between 17 yeah, and Yeah, you know, and it's always – you can move those numbers around, right? Yep. So, okay, call it 17. And then what did Warner get now average per year? Like he, you know, he reset the middle linebacker market. Here's the new number. And whatever that percentage is, however those attorneys and agents and representatives want to move those numbers around, I think there would be a reasonable argument to say, hey, listen, John Schneider, hey, listen, Seahawks, you know, Warner reset the middle linebacker market. And even more than our all pro that we love here, and he reset it by 10%. He reset it, however you want to push those numbers around. I want to, and you all have said, you want to make me the highest paid safety. 
well, here's what the market condition is. Here's where it's being reset to. You know, I, I need another 10%. I need a 15%. Whatever they can reasonably come to to say, this is, you know, this deal for Warren, this is at least how I said it. Sorry, I'm long-winded here. But I see it as it representing, right, the next new kind of, okay, this is where the cap's going, the next new movement in these deals. And I think there is maybe a reasonable side for Jamal to say, yeah, I'm sorry, here's Justin. And if Bobby is X, Fred Warner was X plus this percent, I need to be the exact same or we're not getting a deal done. And maybe that bumps it to 17 and a half, 18, maybe, you know, a number that uh, that both sides can hopefully come to some agreement on. Are middle linebackers overpaid? Paul and I had this conversation earlier. It's my feeling that in the entire time that I've covered the NFL, which is going on getting close to 20 years, people have always felt that the top paid middle linebackers are overpaid. A year or two years mm-hmm. into their contract, they always feel that. Are, are, are middle linebackers overvalued in the NFL? I think in today's game, Danny, with as much as you are asked to do, I'd have a hard time arguing for that. I would say no. That, that is a position that because of more space, because of RPO game, because of running quarterbacks, because of quick passing game, because of jet sweep, like just the innovations offensively in so many schemes around the league today and, and where it is going, that that position, man, is, is hard and it's burdened. And in fact, I remember just a couple of years ago talking to John Schneider about this saying, hey, from a, from a market standpoint, when you get near cut time, you know, what are the hardest and, and who are the hardest guys to find? We all think immediately pass rushers and corners and tackles and quarterbacks. And, and obviously the elite guys are. But, man, there has been a dearth of, of tight ends and linebackers, of, of, of you know, just difference-making guys. And, and so, no, I, I would argue the other way, Danny, and say, actually, you know, maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago when I played, you know, the burden and demand that that position carried, maybe you had some weight in that argument. I just, I, I don't think so today, man. That, that is a position as challenged in conflict on the field as any. Woo, geez, dearth. In a sentence? Did Ooh. I do that well? Yeah. Yeah, you did. Okay. Huh? Sounds like someone Sounds yeah, like someone correct. talking to Big Ten people would say today. Qu- question two. <laughs> Leaders or legends division? All right, Brock. <laughs> Texas and Oklahoma have sent letters and told the Big 12... We intend to opt out of the media rights agreement. Now, those don't expire until 2025, but this is this might be the death knell of the Big 12. Like it's that yep. that conference ain't going to survive without those two guys. And it's the beginning of yep. the flirtation and the question of whether Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC. What's happening? Yeah, I think you lay that out very clearly. And just last night was a, a pretty special dinner with the commissioner of this Big Ten and a few of his powerful members and a bunch of my partners at Fox and, and, and high-level people as this news was breaking. And man, it was fun to be at that table listening to the engagement and the questions and the direction of where this is going. Uh, I, I think we all came to the conclusion that this didn't happen yesterday, that this has been brewing now for weeks, if not months. I was curious, Danny, why Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, was as cantankerous as he was Monday in his comments. Like, you're the leader. You're the top dog. Why are you just pissing in vinegar and oil or no not oil but you know pissing vinegar why you know and now i know why now i know why now i know why he was sweating through his suit because as he was you know presenting and and representing his 14 members this has been ongoing and you know you're talking about 
especially in Texas, you know, the, the, the brand and the power broker that is Texas and the money in Texas. And Nick Saban speaking to the Texas high school football coaches this week. This is a this is a big deal. This is this could be a monumental shift. I, of course, maybe like you as a West Coast guy, lean back into my gosh, if Larry Scott could have gotten this done, you know, in, in expansion talks in 2009, 2010, when this was being flirted with, like, you know, what, what different position the Pac-16 could have been in instead of, you know, the doldrums they've been in over the last decade or so. So, yeah, this is going to be a titanic shift. Uh, this this will rattle and, and shake the cage. This may lead to something, Danny, I think when you and I were doing the show together and, you know, 2012, 2013, I said to you, man, I think we're going to get to super conferences. I think you're going to get to four 16-member super conferences before this thing is all said and done, and I think this may be a huge domino in that direction. It does say that in order for Texas and Oklahoma to join the Big 12, excuse me, not the Big 12, to leave the Big 12 and join the SEC, that you would need to have 11 of 14 SEC members approve. Texas A&M sounds like it's definitely going to say no, which is just a classic. Right. How about the rest of the conference, though? I mean, it's Texas and Oklahoma. That is a lot of money, and that is pretty much unlimited access to the state of Texas. You have, you've broken down the final frontier and turned Texas into an SEC state. Well, uh, I think here is the uh, other unique tangent to this that you'll hear about and read about and has been you know, hinted at is, are you just adding two more? Do you really want to split that pie 16 ways? Mm. Do you really want to expand the league NBA? Or, you know, do you want to take a team and condense it down? I know Mr. Ballmer uh, had talked about that, that, you know, maybe instead of slicing it 30 ways or expanding to 31 or 32, how about we slice it down? So, you know, I think there's speculation that, you know, everybody assumes you just join and become 16. Well, what if you stay at 14 and you decide the two are like, yeah, thanks, but, but no thanks. Who gets you know, the boot? Go, go. Go kick sand and go find another Mississippi State. Go find another conference. Vanderbilt. Uh-huh. Who gets the boot? Uh-huh. Missouri. Oh, Missouri. I mean, Missouri might be in trouble. I would say the nerds you know, so at Vanderbilt too. Yeah, I mean, do something. So it's a, it's yeah, it's it's kind of fascinating to see whether it goes to sixteen, whether two find find a way to be voted off the island, <laughs> the amount of lawsuits, who who the power brokers really are, and it's not the coaches. It's not the ADs. I don't think in some cases, in this case, it's even presidents. I think you're talking about a couple of the most powerful board of regents and and the biggest billionaire boosters willing to absorb litigation and and burn money and time. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty remarkable. And I do think it's – I do – I do think change is inevitable and it's coming in college football. I'll say this. I want to – I think Oklahoma could join the SEC. I am very doubtful that Texas is going to leave for the SEC because Texas is Texas re- demands that things revolve around it. There's no bigger gap between yep. ego and achievement in college football than Texas. You ain't and I don't think yep. I do not think they're going to a conference that will not kiss their burnt orange behind and the SEC absolutely would not kiss their burnt orange behind. Don't you dare so put the horns independent? down. Independent, that would be something. Maybe or maybe they'll just make the big Texas conference and then invite everybody that gets kicked out of the SEC or all of the other leftovers. To be their and little then, brothers again. And then they might finally be able to win a conference championship. Because if we're being honest about how few conf- – going back to their time in the SWAC, that school does not win much. You're right. 
certainly not as big as their brand is. And, you know, they are a, a enormous, powerful brand with enormous resources still. So, who How about them and Notre be, Dame? Yeah. No, no, them and Notre yeah. Dame partner up, and they can just be the, the people who think really highly of themselves but can't bust a grape when it comes to the <laughs> national scene. We were debating last night, Joel Klatt and I were debating, who are the three biggest brands today in college football? Biggest brands. Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. Right? Brands? No. Notre Dame's on that list. Notre Dame has its own TV deal with NBC. Yeah. If you're talking about brands, Notre Dame's one of the biggest brands. Yeah. I guess I think so. it's yeah. I think it's I, I I think it's Notre Dame, Texas, and then I and then I think it's Alabama. I think those are the three biggest brands. Even bigger than Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio, yes. Ohio State has to be on that brand. I, I, to me, just from a rating standpoint, I guess that's how I look at it. And you can qualify it any way you want, but that brand of Ohio State and what that means to television ratings, whenever they play, whomever they play, and that fan base in that in that Rust Belt, Danny, is just. It's a much bigger brand than Clemson. You know, Clemson is new, the new money, the yeah. new brand. That pop prints become popular, but from a ratings revenue, not not even close. Texas, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Alabama, and that that's four trying to squeeze into three pretty difficult spots and debates. And yeah, I mean, Texas is that sizable a brand, even without winning national titles in a long time. All right, Brock. Question number three. Fun little conversation about college football, though. So Bobby Wagner was on with Chris Collinsworth and was asked about the future of his longtime partner in linebackering, one KJ Wright. You know, again, I'm I'm still hopeful that we will make the right decision. Um, I'm still hopeful that he returns and we're still able to continue this amazing run that we've had. Um, you know, if if not, you know, I think any team that. Um, wants an amazing player, amazing leader on the team. You know, he's the guy. But, you know, I'm hoping, you know, our team makes the right decision. And, and finally, Jordan Brooks, the guy who, in theory... When asked about Jordan Brooks, he basically confirms the same thing with K.J. Wright, saying Brooks is making some progress. When you hear that from Bobby Wagner, is there anything more that you read into it? Do you feel like this is something the Seahawks need to seriously think about that the idea of Daryl Taylor this season as maybe your starting mm-hmm. strong side linebacker isn't exactly going to yeah. give you the best chance to win? Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely in consideration. I bet you if we got a sneak peek at the flow chart of Pete Carroll and John Schneider and their roster and, and people that are not a part of it but are right there on the bubble that, that could be that an injury happens in camp or, or you know, the underperformance. And, and a lack of development in some areas that, that he would absolutely be on that list still. And I think they love him. I think KJ has, you know, a great affinity and, and a bond and a friendship in that locker room, certainly with, with Ken Norton and, and Bobby and a number of guys. And this is going to come down to numbers. I mean, it's, you know, that, that's the other part of Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown. And, hey, man, let's try to get all of these pieces in place. And if you're Bobby, you say – you know, does it come to a point here where obviously what he said to Chris Collinsworth there is that, you know, do the right thing, that, that we love KJ, that we want to be here. You know, I wonder if there's a part of Bobby is a leader saying that Jamal, and I know this doesn't happen because it's another man's business, but, you know, let's let's try to get this thing done, right? We've got other <laughs> we've got other business to do. This is the first one we've got to get done that sets the table for the rest of Dwayne Brown and, you know, possibly seeing if there's enough shekels left to pay KJ um, you know, what, what they can pay him and want to pay him. He is Brock Heward. 
reporting to us live from the bowels of Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Bowels. The, the, the congregation of Big Ten coaches in media day. Brock, we appreciate it. We'll look forward to catching up with you next week. Thanks, Brock. Bowels, dearth, and shekels. Yeah, yeah. there you Big go. Enlightening. Absolutely. Now. Right. Bring your heart out. Let's go. Monday. You got uh, it. That is, we'll see you. That is Brock Heward. Uh, there was a piece of news in the Pac 12 yesterday. Washington State coach Nick Rolovich announced on his Twitter that he is not going to be vaccinated. He's not going to receive the COVID 19 vaccine. And the reason he announced it is because he's not going to attend the Pac 12 coaches, the Pac-12 media day that is next week in in Los Angeles. Pat Chun, the Washington State Athletic Director, subsequently released a statement saying that, hey, he's had numerous conversations with Rolovich about this decision and that that the coach will be following the procedure that is in place for staff members who choose not to be vaccinated. And that could be for religious, for medical or for personal reasons. I'm interested to see how this unfolds in a couple of different ways. The first one is it's it's not a vaccine mandate at Washington State University, but it's pretty close. Like they've said, if you're a student and you're going to be on campus uh, in the upcoming school year, that you're you you need to be vaccinated. And they did provide the provision for personal, medical, or religious exemptions, but that that has to has to be applied for. And and here you have a coach who is is saying and. People will say he's the highest paid state employee at, or the highest paid employee at the school. That's that's not really a fair distinction because they're paid by the athletic department, like the athletic department, their budget, they, the, the money that's generated and all those things. Like when you say that, it makes it seem like, hey, we've decided to pay. He's getting paid out, out of a different pool of money than right. the professors. But it is a public university. That was the first thing I thought. And then the second thing I thought is, like, this actually might be an edge for them in recruiting. And I know nobody's going to want to hear that. But I actually, I, 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 don't, I don't think this will be a negative for them when it comes to recruiting. That's interesting. I don't think you're wrong. I do wonder how it would exactly manifest itself. But... I think everybody in college sports has a way of creating their own brand. And maybe that's, Danny, what you're thinking about right no, here? No, here's, here's what I'm thinking about. Look, I've been vaccinated. I got the vaccine as soon as I could. I, I think most of the arguments that I've heard against the vaccine, I would not classify as reasonable. This is going to infuriate a lot of people. I, I don't believe in forced vaccinations or anything like that. But I, I think that I think that it is that, that it is eminently reasonable and all of the research and evidence points to it. That said, 56% of the country, I think that's the estimate of people 12 or older in the country. The most recent estimate I saw is 56% of the country according to the CDC has been vaccinated. That's 44%. Like that's a significant chunk and you'll talk to other people about all of the problems that that's created, but just accepting the reality of that, not judging whether or not that is reasonable or making a value judgment on it. That's a significant chunk of the country that has not gotten vaccinated. And Rolovich is the only coach I know of in a power five school. It's possible he will be the only coach at one of these power five schools. We've seen SEC coaches go through. Nick Saban has said, look, if you're part of that 44% that is either chosen or is reluctant to get the vaccine, you're not going to be against. You're not going to see that that Nick Rolovich's stance on on getting vaccinated or his decision not to be as disqualifying. Because I think a lot of people's initial reaction is good luck going and getting recruits. I'm like, actually, there's a significant chunk of the country that might identify and and actually be 
incur- like that might be an attractive trait to them in a college football coach. Yeah, I get what you're saying there. And, you know, just as important as it is to win the heart or mind of a prospective student athlete, you do need to win that of their parents as well. So, sure, that, that could be something that maybe separates Nick Rolovich and our beloved Cougs from programs uh, across college football. I'm curious as to if the Pac-12 will try to crack down on him for this. I know that I guess they can't necessarily do it, but it does feel like, at least based off of the way that things went last year, that that is something that the Pac-12 would do. I mean, how many games did we see last year get canceled at the absolute last minute? Now, there weren't vaccinations as readily available at that point, so... And have you seen what the like the SEC can? We'll see how the Pac-12 handles it. But the SEC commissioner Greg forfeits. Sankey last week was basically saying, "Hey, you're going to have forfeits if you're not available to play." And let me be clear, I I I don't I don't agree with Rolovich's stance. I I, th- I think I think it's dangerous. I think we're all safer the more of us get get vaccinated. Like I'm I'm very clear on that. But there's a significant chunk of people out there that are going to identify with what Rolovich is doing, and I don't think it's going to hurt. Their, their national standing. I think people will call, I, I think it's dangerous, but I think that's the reality. There are people who are skeptical of anything that's being said about it these days, and I can understand why they might think that way. I am vaccinated myself. What I will say is, though, that for all those people who get really upset about those who aren't vaccinated, I would just ask yourself this question. Are you more likely to make that person actually think twice about his own decision by yelling at them and damning them in some way, shape, or form? Are you likely to actually convert them on that front? The answer is no. You're going to make them mad and feel more confirmed in what they have actually made as a decision. It's a dynamic of, this, human, though, of humanity. I would, I would say this, though. I don't know if saying we're all entitled to our own opinion and treating it like all opinions are created equal as opposed to listening to medical expertise is going to make them convinced uh, oh, of that either. Believe me, I'm just saying that there's a lot of reasons to question medical expertise over the last couple of months. And while I have gotten both vaccinations, I understand why someone would be like, all right, we don't know what the heck's going on. Can someone please stop telling, telling us to do one thing and then do something else totally different five days later? And again, I am, le- I am less understanding than Paul. I, hey, I, I don't blame you. And I, I, I do not blame anyone who has that line of thinking, but I'm also not not going to jump down the throats of somebody who hasn't decided to make that decision. I think that's a decision everyone should get to make their own. And uh, yeah, so uh, vaccines, baby. Woohoo! It's Danny and Gallant. Jerry Depoto, <laughs> Mariners General Manager, joins us next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We have our weekly visit with Mariners General Manager Jerry Depoto, and it comes at a time when the Mariners are preparing for a pretty big week at home. Four games against the Oakland A's, three games against the Houston Astros. Seattle comes back, six games over 500, feeling very good about itself. Three and two on that, five road games after the All-Star break. And a chance to make up some ground in what could could become, or maybe even already is, a playoff chase. Yeah, And if you're able to take a couple from Oakland and maybe close in the gap between you and a team that seems to overachieve every single year, given its financial limitations, one that likes to seemingly remind you of its own 
achievements in the wake of their financial limitations and their dump of a stadium. This is big. And this is a team that you're not light years behind. With Houston right now, you are. I mean, that, that lineup, only Toronto has more home runs. They are, they are just a really good one through nine. And they have solid pitching on top of that. But you are close to Oakland. The question is how close, and maybe these next four games or seven games, would lead Jerry to potentially decide to make a move that would actually improve the roster as opposed to maybe standing pat or thinking about moving on from one of your better players who you're not so sure about uh, down the road and, and in their future here with Seattle. I think the way the Mariners have played, they've already earned. They've already earned. They, they should be added to. And and I don't I don't think that's on Jerry Depoto. I, I I think that's 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 on I, that's that's on the people that hold the checkbook. This this team's played well enough to deserve that, regardless of what happens over the next week. If you're if you're going to be serious in the playoff chase, though, just just the logistics, the way it's working out, you've got ten teams in the American League that have winning records right now. You, you're gonna you're gonna still have to pass a lot of people, and I think you have to walk down one of the two teams in the American League West. And I would agree with you; it's more likely to be Oakland as opposed to Houston. It's it's more more likely to be Oakland as opposed to Houston. But you're gonna you would have to walk one of those teams down. I I, I think you're gonna have to pass one of them um, if if you're going to make the playoffs. Just given how how good the rest uh, of the league is. That said. I feel pretty good about how Seattle stacks up. They've got their four starting pitchers. Their top four starting pitchers are going lined up for the series against Oakland. It's going to be at home. We've gotten you've got full capacity at the stadium. I felt that there was good energy. I felt that there was great energy in the stadium before. I'm really excited to see how this team this team fares. I'm pumped to watch this game tonight because I I think that this Mariner team believes in itself. I think that you've got some young players. Guys like Cal Raleigh and Jared Kelnick, who they're still eager and optimistic. We're not sure what they're going to be and when when they're going to be it. It's a really exciting time for a rebuilding team. I look at those two as having a massive opportunity over the next seven games and honestly over the next 17 games too because they'll after these two series and a series against the Texas Rangers, they will be going and taking on the Tampa Bay Rays and the New York Yankees. This two- to three-week stretch – it's a massive chance for both of those guys to deal with real pressure, real stakes with every single at-bat, and how they manage the successes that they might have along the way, but more importantly, the failures, specifically with Jared Kelnick. I'm intrigued. I'm curious to see what happens, but definitely for those two guys, I think maybe more than anybody, these next couple of weeks are going to be really telling. And... You start off with Oakland here. It's a team that is not a measuring stick so much, but one of the teams that has has been successful, is built to be better, was expected to be better this year, and we've got the Mariners going head-to-head with them. Uh, it is time for our weekly conversation with Jerry DePoto, the general manager, is with us on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. It's going to be a big week, Jerry. Starts off with four games again against Oakland, and then Houston's in there. It's been a good start post-All-Star break. I'm, I'm excited to see the reaction tonight. I, I couldn't be more excited. We, we've got the two best teams in our division. We've we've made up a lot of ground in the the first half of this season, and what we were hoping to achieve as a team. And, and we're going to find out a lot over these next seven games about where we are in this uh, in the in the hunt. I, sus- I suspect. And that's got to be tough to make those decisions, maybe based off of the next seven games or so, because that's what you guys have against two division rivals right here at 
T-Mobile Park before the trade deadline. And, you know, we, we, we talked about it a little bit last week as well. How much closer do you feel like you are as far as knowing definitively what you want to do in a couple of days at the trade deadline? I, I, we've always known what we wanted to do. And, and I feel like I've tried to be clear in expressing that. And, you know, especially as the last, you know, four or six weeks have, have shown the, the improvement and the progress that this team is making, we'd love to add to this team. And, you know, whether that is that what we have talked about in the areas of second base or right hand bat starting pitcher, you know, the one thing we have focused on and will continue to focus on are players who make sense for us beyond 2021. You know, what we don't think makes a great deal of sense is, is forfeiting any real significant part of our future for short-term rental-type gains. And you know, so we are focused on players who would be part of the Mariners beyond just 2021. And, you know, until further notice, that's our only focus. And, and we'll continue to, to check in with clubs on the players we feel like make sense for us that, that fit in that category. Jerry, do you think the clubhouse and the players who have to be encouraged by the results this year? And I don't know. I know they didn't share the expectations that some people had externally outside the, outside the team, but they've got to feel really good about the way they've competed. Do do clubhouses look to the front office or to additions to sort of for a vote of confidence or for some help to assign that that the people the people above them believe in what they're doing and their chances for this season? Oh, I think they do. And having been in that position, I I can Mm -hmm. tell you for sure (laughs) they do. And, uh, you know, there's, there is a certain level of confidence that, that that group has to go out and play every night. The reason why we are where we are in the standings is because of, of what the players in that room have done. And it would be, it would be a vote of confidence to, to show them that here, we believe what you're doing. And, yeah, as I said, we really want to do that. And as I've mentioned before, you know, through the years, while it is it, it is notable the number of trades we've made uh, over time, it's not easy to make trades, <laughs> and yeah. especially not easy to make trades in July. You know, you, you definitely need a dance partner, and and we're doing all that we can do to line up on on the positions or the players that we think make the most sense for us. And we do want to make our players. Or, or encourage them and give them the feeling that we're with them because we truly are. The starting rotation has seen a lot of changes due to injuries or perhaps injustice levied by Major League Baseball. And of course, yesterday we saw you know Keenan Middleton thrown out there as as the opener, and it's another bullpen start. And while there was a nice rebound afterwards, obviously, you know it's a difficult situation to put yourself in when you have a bullpen start. Do you have a, an idea? What what do, is the plan? I guess as we've gone from a six man rotation to a four and one bullpen start as far as who maybe t- fills into that fifth starting spot, maybe a sixth starting spot. If you guys go back to it ultimately again. Yeah. I mean, the, the fifth starting spot right for now for us by no real fault of our own. I, I think we have seven starting pitchers on the IL. <laughs> There's yeah. only so deep you can go. And, and uh, I do think that yesterday's game could be misclassified as a bullpen day because there were so many bullpen days in trying to, you know, fill the void when we were going through a six-man rotation and we lost Justin Dunn and then ultimately Chef, yesterday was an opener. And that was a strategic play that frankly didn't work. You know, we, uh, Darren McCacken is a starting pitcher who's been in our organization for a couple of years now. He's done a great job. He has built out to 100-plus pitches. 
yesterday was effectively a start. And because we were, you know, he was going to experience his major league debut in Denver against a, what, what is at times a very formidable Rockies lineup, we thought it best to try to clear the middle of the, the order before sending Cack out to, to throw his start, so to speak, and, and, uh, and, and give us some, some length in a game. So this is the, the, the strategy that is often employed by the, the, the Rays. We tried it a couple of years ago. Uh, didn't work for us yesterday. I don't know if we will use an opener the next time that that spot in the rotation comes around, but I anticipate that Darren McCacken will get that crack again. He, he earned a second chance with his performance yesterday. We're talking to Jerry DePoto, our weekly visit with him. Jerry, there there are ten teams in the American League that have winning records. It's it's a strange it's strange the way that distribution is right now. Does does that is that going to make the trade market? tougher because you have a lot of teams that see themselves with having postseason possibilities? You know, the, the more teams that are involved or close, uh, the less movement that you'll see is okay. is generally what I think is is you have so many teams that are resistant to move because they, they feel like they're close enough that they, like we began this conversation, they want to give the guys in that clubhouse a chance. So, I think the teams that are close enough to the to the to the playoff contention are unlikely to make a lot of moves. And like you said, there are enough teams in that category that that there just aren't as many sellers, which likely makes it a seller's market on on some level. But you know, there are enough teams out there that are actively engaged in conversations. I do believe there'll be movement you know, at the deadline. And as is the case with with any MLB trade deadline, most of the activity happens in the in the eleventh hour because most teams believe that's when they're getting their best deal. He is Jerry Depoto. Jerry, I've loved watching Logan Gilbert's growth and the way that he's done ten starts in his best two best two starts, in my opinion, have been his last two. This has to be really encouraging for everybody. You know, since the since his start in Cleveland, I, I think it was June thirteenth. That that really kicked off the current run that our team is on, and mm-hmm. you know he, that day we beat uh, we beat Bieber in Cleveland, and it was uh, kind of the coming out party for Logan. He had shown us flashes, but that was the first you know game end to end that he really put it together and showed us what he does, and and he's roughly done it you know every time through the rotation since then. And I believe since that time, as a as a team, we're twenty and ten, and uh, which I believe is the best record in the league over that time. And Logan Gilbert, uh, as long as well as Chris Flaxman, frankly, over that time have been two of the five or six best pitchers in the American League by WAR value. And you know, when you when you think about it, how early that's happening in Logan's career, and the the impressive physical stuff, preparation, execution and consistency that we're seeing, you can't help but be excited. He's in a great place, and he's doing all the things we imagined he would do, just doing them quicker than we could have believed. Jerry, we always enjoy the conversation. And look, I think the entire city is pumped up to see what happens this next week and excited to get out there to the park tonight to bring in Oakland for the first of four and then followed by Houston. Thanks so much for taking the time. You got it, guys. That is Jerry DePoto, his weekly visit with us. We'll react to that. It certainly sounds like he's got some eyes on some additions coming up. Uh, We'll discuss that next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. 
We just spoke with Mariners general manager Jerry DePoto, as we always do. 8.30 right here on the Danny and Gallant radio show. And the question coming out of it, Danny, is whether or not we feel like the Mariners are perhaps more likely to make a trade at the trade deadline to do something that we were wondering if they would feel that they needed to, to make a move that would essentially be a, not just a hearty pat on the back, but a, listen, you guys earned this. We're going to give you as many resources as we possibly can down the stretch of this season. Jerry's answer was pretty clear to me. He wants to make a deal. Yeah. He's not sure, he's not sure about the circumstances. I got the same he, impression. He, he, he wants to make a deal and that there are, there are players out there when he said that you have so many teams and 10 teams in the American League right now with winning records, it tends to stifle activity. So I think he's unclear about which opportunities are going to truly present themselves, but I, I very much felt that he wants he wants to make additions. There's just a very specific, and he talked about the, the kinds of additions, because this is not a team that's looking for a short-term, hey, bring in somebody to give us a boost for the next two months. Like that, that's not, there's a time when that kind of player is exactly what you want as a contender. For the Mariners, that's probably two or three years from now. It's, it's, yeah. it's definitely not this season. Here is Jerry on the, the types of trade targets that would be attractive for them. I, I, we've always known what we wanted to do. And, and I feel like I, I've tried to be clear in expressing that. And, you know, especially as the last, you know, four or six weeks have, have shown the, the improvement and the progress that this team is making, we'd love to add to this team. And, you know, whether that is that what we have talked about in the areas of second base or right hand bat starting pitcher, you know, the one thing we have focused on and will continue to focus on are players who make sense for us beyond 2021. You know, what we don't think makes a great deal of sense is, is forfeiting any real significant part of our future for short-term rental type gains. And that's smart, right? I mean, a short-term rental type of gain. I thought about it a couple of months ago. I was like, Hey, maybe you bring in a guy and you can convince him with all the young talent that you have, that this is the place to be long-term. But the odds are you're going to be in a bidding war at the end of the season with all sorts of teams. And we just saw the deal that George Springer got from Toronto. Is Toronto really more of a contender than any team in baseball? I mean, for all we know, they're going to be, what, fourth team out maybe in the American League despite having arguably the best offense in the league. Toronto's a year ahead of Seattle, though, right? Like that's – we have yes. to we, – we have to when, – when you look at, hey, when Toronto had – Seattle should be looking to add someone – maybe not George Springer's contract, but that's if they're a year behind, they're getting close to that sort of purchase and add to the nucleus. And, and that's something that Jerry DePoto, you know, told us is that he feels like they're, they're basically right behind Toronto as far as that goes. So they're going to be more selective. It sounds like here. And Th- they've got needs. You don't know who your second baseman is long-term. Mm-hmm. You don't, they, you'd like to get another right-handed power bat and, and starting pitching. And and starting pitching is a need that's kind of come up as I don't know if this reflects a lack of preparation by Seattle so much as just misfortune with injury. And you look at the number right, of starting pitchers, that, right? I mean, geez, the, the, the number nuts. of starting pitchers that they have that that have gone gone down, whether it's Margovichus, James Paxton, and they've lost. Right now, you've got Dunn and Sheffield are out. L.J. Newsom, like they they've gone it's through basically, yeah they they've gone they've gone through a really really. It was tough to project the amount of injuries that they've suffered. And you're Jerry say that yesterday shouldn't be classified as a bullpen start, that it was a, a decision to use Keenan Middleton 
to open the game, and Darren McCacken, who is a starting pitcher, then came into it. So that's expect McCacken. I took this. You're you can good. expect McCacken to be part of, of the starting rotation here uh, in, in the near future, at least until Justice Sheffield and or Justin Dunn are back. Yeah, and McCacken, he wasn't bad. So at the very least, that's that's a promising and encouraging sign. I feel like Jerry wants to make the trade. Do you feel like they're going to have the, the, the green light, though, necessarily to do what would, I guess, put the Mariners in a better position for this season to actually, you know, be a playoff contender? I'm going to believe that this this ownership group is going to give the baseball operations the resources it needs until I'm proven otherwise. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going Optimism. to believe that they will do that. Yeah. It, I, I'm I'm going to believe that they will do that, and if there are opportunities out there that they choose not to because they don't want to add payroll, if you choose not to add a guy because you don't want to give up a prospect, that's an acceptable that's an acceptable response. If if you choose not to add a guy because it adds payroll, then I'll start to have some questions. But I'm going to assume that they're going to do the right thing. I still hold out hope that Armand Marquez is is going to is going to be available. I think he fits when. When Ryan Davis was on with us earlier this week, and he said, I think you'll have to give up. I thought he was saying Kelnick or Rodriguez, and he said George Kirby or Emerson Hancock, and he thinks that I was like, ooh, if it was one of those guys, I I don't know, man. Like Those guys are a ways off from the big leagues, and you got Marquez, who would be there for the next three years. Yeah, I'm not hesitating. I'm, I'm falling the trigger on that one. Kirby's got some really impressive measurables. Like he's got some really impressive statistics, but I'm I'm at least that's not one I'm saying. Oh, that's a little too rich. Kelnick and Rodriguez are out. I'm probably not doing it for Noelve Marte, but man, I'm I'm certainly thinking about it if it's Kirby. Right, you got some potential with those starting pitchers, but you know what Marquez is, and you never know with pitchers. It's so just flukish what happens, not just from a health perspective, but whether or not they're able to make it work at the major league level. It's Danny and Gallant, seven ten ESPN Seattle. What can the Mariners realistically do in this upcoming stretch against both the A's and the Astros? And the Seattle Kraken, we know what their team is comprised of. We'll find out more about them in about an hour as far as what trades they may be made. But where do they stand right now? We'll give you that and more next.